and welcome. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. Another episode. Episode eight. Episode eight. <sighs> eight is great. Eight is great because maybe just iced tea. New Jack Hustler. We've got some H-U-S-T-L-A-R hustlers on the pod this week. We've got some real pieces of trash. <sighs> Let's just be straight up. Con men. Praying on the faithful. This week, I'm starting with the divorces of semen <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard. Mm. <clears throat> I need another shower. Yeah. Oof. Uh, yeah, I'm doing uh, Jim and Tammy Baker, where honestly, the... Their, di- oh, their divorce. Bay, I love her. Yeah, their divorce was not overwhelmingly trashy, but everything that led up to it was. <sighs> Folks, settle in. Get ready for another episode. Pour yourself a something. Good Lord, we did. Yeah. It, just to get through it. These people are uh, gross. This week, no tears. Oh, yeah, no tears. Yeah, if you'd worried. Oh, God. P- trashy divorces going soft. Not an empathy podcast this week. Nobody. Nope. Well, nope. a little bit. I mean, I mean, Tammy Faye's great, bit. and there's some seriously shitty behavior that goes on, and we have empathy for the victims of that shitty behavior. But we're funny like that. Podcast, no tears. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. I'm feeling pretty good. Going for the trash. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. Hey, Alicia, how are you doing this week? I am amped up. Are you, are you amped no, up? No tears. Tell me. Tell I me. Have no tears. Not a tear. No tear. Not an empathy podcast this week? Nope. I let my Scotch Irish come out. Oh, so. Not that this story has anything to do with that, but I have ire. Drinking Scotch? I'm drinking whiskey to tell you the story because I feel so fucking skeeved out. I, I, okay. Today, <clears throat> yes. I bring to you mm. the trashy divorces arc of the greatest huckster, shyster, Hustler on Earth, or the greatest man who ever lived, depending on who you ask. Oh, I see. But I'm pretty sure his two ex-wives would go with greatest huckster. He'd go with the second. Well. Dude bro is five trash bags, and let's just end the story now. I mean, like, maybe cool. that's as amped up as I want to get, and you don't want to hear the rest, but. Great. I have I, I something in those along those lines, but I think less... Oh no, I'm 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 a you're, little amped. You're a little amped. All right. So I'm not <laughs> got? Gonna, I'm not going to recommend any of the rabbit holes I went down in research because <laughs> I bunny bounced all over the place and found some really shady things. I am not going to connect any listener. Thank you, listeners, to anything dicey or related to Scientology. So in this oh. case, Wikipedia oh. is your friend. Just in general, if you need a launch pad and want to find out more about my trash bag. You're not doing Tom Cruise, are you? N- not yet. Oh. But he's coming. Not this season. Next season. Okay. Because, just be glad it's him, not you. Hey, Jonathan Colton. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Um. Uh, so there are a lot of good podcasts out there covering all the aspects of the life of my flaming trash can today. Whose name is? L. Ron Hubbard. Did I, did, were you going to wait on that? No, it's cool. No, okay. but here's the thing: all the podcasts are typically arcs. Yeah, they're two or three or seven episodes. Like, there's a lot to the life. Having listened to at least one, or sure, or like adjacent, sure podcasts about people adjacent to him, because he really ran in a strange oh, a. milieu. Yeah, yeah, I can see. 
So there's a lot to cover. However, Mm -hmm. this is trashy divorces. Mm -hmm. So I centered in specifically. Well done. On his two trashy divorces. Sure. I was lamenting earlier writing this story because I had whatever 19 more pages of research about his third wife. And then I maybe poured a glass of wine and was like, wait, there was no divorce there. I could cut the story off right here because I feel as skeevy as I want to feel. So I didn't need to do 18 more pages. So I'm covering L. Ron Hubbard's first two wives and the divorces thereof. Okay. Came here to chew bubblegum and talk some divorces. I'm all out of bubblegum. You ready to do this? May as well. First and foremost, the entire only good part of the story Mm -hmm. is that the L in L. Ron Hubbard is short for Lafayette, which I now can sing a little Happy Hamilton before I tell the sordid tale. Because America's favorite fighting Frenchman, Lafayette. Lafayette. It's the only good part of this whole story. (laughs) What? Tell me the story then. Ron has three wives, two divorces. Polly, Sarah, he both divorces from Mary Sue as his widow. And Polly, because I can't help myself. Okay. Before we begin the tragic tale of his two ex-wives, please allow L. Ron to tell you about himself. And baby, whoa, baby, this dude is a (laughs) self-promoter. He has been self-promoting his entire life because he is a con artist and a shuckster and a lying liar. So as a child, he was a blood brother to this fictitious Indian tribe, and the chief promotes him to another chief, and he was born on a ranch to this rich tycoon, and he's the youngest Eagle Scout in the history of the world, and he's a daredevil daredevil fighter pilot and a war hero, and he's blinded and resurrected through his own being and gets his sight back, and this is before he takes enough drugs and does enough sex magic to concoct Dianetics and Scientology, would sort of make him infamous. Okay. First wife. And Polly. Margaret Louise, who always goes by Polly. Okay. Grub. Grub. Yeah, Grub. Polly Grub. Polly Grub. Born in Maryland in 1907. She's the only child of a farming family. Her father operates a plant nursery. Her mom dies when she's young. Polly takes her first job in a shoe shop at 16 to support herself and her dad. Polly is a keen glider pilot because gliding, gliding, because um, aeronautics and airplanes I was going to say, kind of when was this, this again? This is 1933. Okay. So gliding is a thing because it's a plane without an engine, engine. Yeah. and you launch off or spring off or fall off something and use the wind to it's a big deal it's a big gliding. deal it's a big deal no one one night recently i spent like three hours reading the wright brothers wikipedia page it's very long but and gliding well they i mean really? they invented the first airplanes but um, God, i should have been drinking aviation but obviously see they started that may have actually been what got me there uh, there anyway it all comes back around it comes back around so polly is a keen glider pilot and meets Lafayette, no, L. Ron Hubbard, on a Maryland gliding field in early 1933. Okay. Uh, they're both learning to fly, and they want to get a pilot's license. At the time, old Ronnie is self-employed. He's a writer of Pulp Fiction stories. The two begin a hot and heavy blind date turned into romance. By April, they are married. Settle down in Maryland, start family life. All right. Everything is great. 
she does miscarry. They do have a son the following year who Lafayette Ron Jr. changes into his name in 1972. Coming up, wrap back around to that. Once he finds, you know, is certain his father's a lunatic, but that comes later. <laughs> they have a daughter in 1936 named Kay. In 1936, they moved to Washington near L. Ron Hubbard's family, where he decides to establish a, I'm doing a Ross quote, writing studio. Okay. From where he produces many of his pulp short stories and novels, because he wants to write too. He's not just a famous Eagle Scout, Chieftain, Tribe, Daredevil pilot. He wants to be a... Like a serious writer. He, paperback oh, no. writer. No, sci-fi, Just, pulp fiction. Like, he's in the club. He's, wasn't that what he was doing when they met, though? Yeah, but... Okay, so he just wants to do more of it. God, he's a jackass. So, he begins to spend long periods away in New York with all of his writer friends, and the word is uh, he's reliable with the ladies. Now I see why you said that thing to me earlier that you said. I was very confused. What did I say? That I couldn't go to New York to hang out with all my writer friends? That's exactly correct. Nopeny nope. I was like, I don't think I have any writer friends in New York. Nor will you have any in the future. So Polly thinks he's having affairs, which she ends up finding hard evidence of his adulterous philandering. It seems that Ronnie had written letters to a couple of his honeys in New York and left them in the mailbox to be picked up. But Polly... Goes to, like, you know, put out the electric bill or whatever. Finds them, gets mad, opens the envelope, switches letters oh, no. to his honeys and oh, put that, them back in the box. That's brilliant. That she, is really, really brilliant. Um, she didn't tell Ron what she had done until they'd been picked up, which is stone cold, Polly. And I love it. That, I'm 100% in for it. That is, yep, yep, yep. That is called not losing your head. Because I think a lot of people don't lose your head. Would you, you'd freak freak out, tear them up, or not Polly. Polly's hold like, on to them to throw oh, them wait. in your. Yeah, I can fuck with this guy. I don't <laughs> cheat I don't on know me. If I have the uh, date that Paul, the month Polly was born. I wonder what astrological signs she is. We'll talk about it in the in a future episode. Anyway, Polly Stone Cold Stone Cold Polly. Okay, she's <laughs> so good, right? I mean. Shh props because yeah i i'm just imagining myself i would i don't know i would throw them away and then i would retrieve them from the trash to throw them you know at my partner's face like that that's i would it would never occur to me like oh, stone cold paul i mean so good switcheroo okay um it's very mark twainish i don't know like yeah. it's, it's really good i guess they work it out enough that they sell to alaska in 1938 and old Ronnie ends up joining the Navy for war service. Okay. <laughs> Once this happens, other than a period in 1943 when Hubbard is stationed in Oregon, um, they don't really see each other. By the end of the war, it's evident this marriage cannot Over, be saved. Yeah. Polly and the kids move in with his parents. She does not see him... St- What's the word? Obstensibly? But ob- obstentatiously? I'm not sure what you're Apparently, trying to say. Apparently, she doesn't see him between 1945 and June of 1947. Okay. He ends up like, she's cheating on me. Living with his parents? Yeah, but I don't think that's the case because he's a lying liar, sure. which we're going to find more about soon. Right. So he's gone and she's like, fuck it. Peggy files for divorce in Washington in April 1947. 
on the grounds of desertion and non-support as neither she nor her children were obtaining obtaining any support from yeah ronnie on the lamb yeah i think you mean gi ronnie gi ronnie oh wait no he was a seaman <laughs> sorry if anyone hasn't ever listened to the Captain's Wife's Lament by Paul and Storm, please go do it now, because now I'm going to be thinking about semen for the rest of the story. Stop. Concentrate. So Polly has no idea that until she gets in divorce proceedings that had begun the previous year, that old L. Ron, on his time away, has married someone else in his life on the lam and has become a bigamist. The new wife doesn't know about Polly. She should have swapped the letters more. Jesus Christ. So we're going to get to Sarah, the second wife. Uh, But that story is so trashy. What? I don't want to mesh the two. Sarah's story is standalone. Okay, so she's... Polly is in... Polly is living with mom and dad, files divorce proceedings. And once she gets to court, she finds out she has married someone else the year before little thing called discovery or whatever holy shit okay so seriously sarah's you know judges don't like that (laughs) sarah's coming for the purposes of this narrative (laughs) l ron hubbard agrees to divorce in june you think which is final on christmas eve of 1947 polly gets custody of the kids he has to pay 25 dollars a month per child which he does not well as in early 1951, Polly ends up suing him for maintenance, charging that he promoted a cult called Dianetics. Hmm. This is after he had written the book, mm-hmm. own valuable property, was well, you know, well equipped to afford yeah. the payment that she demanded 42 months of support payments. Yeah. Totaling $2,500, essentially. Uh, Hubbard also failed to pay a debt. On the National Bank of Commerce, taken out in 1940, which is about 900 bucks. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard, lying liar, responds to these claims saying, Polly shouldn't have custody of the kids because she drinks to excess and is a dipsomaniac. I'm sorry, dipsomaniac? It's a person addicted to alcohol. It's an alcoholic, a dipsomaniac. It's really? A fan- yeah. Why don't we live in olden times when they used words when like dipsomaniac? Words like dipsomaniac. This is an intervention for your dipsomania. I'm going to drink a sip of my beer God, now. Have drink, drink a whiskey to suffer some dipsomania. It only gets worse. Okay. Rarely gets better in our stories. Polly does get divorced now. Just like Sarah's her own standalone story, we're going to move into Sarah, but Polly will come back. We're she's not quite done yet. But just to let you know, she does end up divorced, Natch, uh, marries a man called John Oakes, moves to Pennsylvania. She is reported to have died in 1963. No one really talks about her. We're going to bring her back in the present story in the past. It's all back to the future. <sighs> Let's roll back to August 1945. Okay. Okay. We've left 1947. So, he's, so right, he's he's We're away he's away at sea, except he's marrying some other. Ch- yeah, GI Ronnie, who's on the lamb. Seaman. Seaman. Ah, uh, Seaman comes in. Oh no, Seaman moves it. Oh. Seaman <clears throat> decides to go visit. Seaman Ooh. Seaman Hubbard. Seaman Hubbard decides to go visit rocket scientist and occultist 
John Whiteside Parsons, Fuck also known as Jack yeah. Parsons in Pasadena. Fuck yeah. Dude. Dude. That guy is... There is an amazing episode of The Dollop about Jack Parsons that is both, like, disgusting and hilarious and... Ugh. It was so... it, Yeah, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. I, like, on purpose, listened mm-hmm. to no other podcast sure. about this except for one, which I mentioned at the end called... I'm going to call it out now because it really was fascinating. Um indoctrination podcast there was an episode from last year with l ron hubbard's great great grandson that was an interesting sort of this is my family lineage what have i found out about it he is from he's from this great great grandmother polly is his great great grandmother okay his dad is the one who took a new name he has a lot to say about it which is fascinating it's the only podcast i listen to Okay. But there are a ton out there that cover. Oh sure, all, sure. Because uh, this story no, this goes got, everywhere. This dude and the and the people he ran <gasps> with are all so they're such freaks. <sighs> so skeet. They are, and I actually that's an offense to freaks because I would uh, say freaks are better than this. I would they're say yeah, skeevy. most freaky people are really cool, but yeah, these are not these are not good people. They have their own genius, and I think for. Elron, it's uh, it's marketing, but like no, Jack Parson legit is one of the founders of rocketry. Um, but okay. crazy, yeah, okay, off the charts. So you know where you're gonna need to shower after this. <laughs> okay, so Seaman Ronnie on the lamb <laughs> comes to visit Jack Parsons, and uh, which just must always have been a fascinating thing to do comes to visit jack parsons who is married to this woman named helen Mm -hmm. ronnie also begins an intense affair with parsons girlfriend sarah who is helen's sister i was gonna say wasn't she yes okay oh my god so this begins like Uh uh okay so sarah is jack parsons girlfriend yep but she's also Jack's wife's sister. Sister-in-law. She is Jack's sister-in-law. Oh, yeah. Jack's girlfriend. wife's sister-in-law married to Jack's wife, Helen. And Seaman Elrond's uh, uh, girlfriend now. But So a little backstory about Sarah. As she's a whole story all on her own. And again, I need to keep this to a 30 to 40 minute right. story to tell. Right. Sarah's mother first married Thomas Cowley, an Englishman working for Standard Oil. The couple had three daughters in 1923. Mama consulted a Ouija board that said to move to Pasadena, so maybe her family is already a little out there. Sarah's upbringing was marred by her sexually abusive father, who went to jail in 1928 for financial fraud. She was sexually active from an unusually young age, uh, said she lost her virginity at the age of 10. At 15... Sarah moves in with Helen, her sister, and her husband, Jack Parsons, who were both members of this Ordo Templi Orientis. Indeed. OTO, the Pasadena branch of this cult, um, as she's finishing high school. Oh, yeah. No, it was Aleister Crowley's cult. So Jack Parsons divides this house, a rambling mansion next door to the estate of Aldolphus Bush, which later becomes the first Bush Gardens. (laughs) 
into 19 apartments, which he populated with a mixture of artists, writers, scientists, occultists, and from what isn't written, but I assume a lot of drugs. Oh, it's from what I can tell. I mean, Crowley himself was apparently ingesting more heroin a than... A lot of drugs. Uh-huh. Than, like, a human should be able to without dying all the time. So Sarah's parents are cool with this. They give Jack Parsons some cash to support, you know, their girls financially. Oh, sure. Sarah, you know, gets not 15, grows up a little, joins the uh, cult, the OTO, moves up in the ranks. And apparently in 1941, Helen goes on vacation. Oh, well, that was a mistake. (laughs) Uh, in June of 1941, Helen goes on vacation, mm-hmm. and at the age of 17, Sarah uh, begins a passionate affair with Parsons. She's like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, super blonde, super skinny, and an apparent sex machine. Hmm. Helen comes back. Well. Finds Sarah wearing her clothes and calling herself Jack Parsons' new wife. Ah, that's fascinating. Apparently, this is cool and permissible behavior in the cult, which yeah. is why maybe you should call your dad or yeah. someone else who so, loves you. Sounds like dad wouldn't be a good call in this case. It's all bad. Oh, do you guys need more money for care and feeding of the girls that you're fucking? Okay. I mean, it's all bad. Apparently, there's a lot of back and forth with Jack and Helen and Sarah. Oh, I, I, would, I would imagine there was a lot of back and forth. Well, Jack's like, oh, Helen... You're a far superior person. You're a goddess among women, but Sarah has sex magic. Like, it's... it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Helen, I don't know, 43, starts her own affair. Sarah acquires such a reputation that Alistair Crowley dubs her the alley cat after one of the people from the house says Parsons' attraction to her was like a yellow pup bumming around with a snout glued to the rump of an alley cat. Crowley concludes that she's a vampire who is seeking destruction of Jack Parsons and his own OTO cult, and she is a grave danger to his plans. I mean, that seems like the obvious conclusion. Dun, 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 dun. The 17-year-old vampire. Enter 1945 and Seaman Ronnie Boy. Seaman Ronnie Boy to the rescue. So after about three months of living with them he Mm. and sarah start a torrid affair he comes in jack loves him hey ron stay cool sounds good i'm on leave (laughs) sarah later she says this later which is funny he was not only a writer but he was captain of a ship that had been downed in the pacific and he was weeks on a raft and had been blinded by the sun and his back had been broken she believes all of it. Oh, sure. Although none of his claims none of, it's true. of wartime action or injuries are sure, true sure. because he's a lying liar. Yep. They start their affair. Jack Parsons is sad, but like he gets that within two months, Sarah has transferred all of her sex magic that she was giving to him over to Seaman Ronnie. There's a lot of tension. They're all living together. In early 1946, they all decide it's a super groovy idea to go into business together. There's just a lot of good, thoughtful stuff happening here. And drugs. So they decide to go into business buying yachts on the East Coast and sailing them to California to sell at a profit. 
They set up a business partnership. This is not going to go well. Oh, God. Jack, Sarah, and Helen and Ronnie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, because he can sell. Well, in theory. Jesus Christ. They set up a business partnership under the name of Allied Enterprises. Parsons pretty much puts up his life savings. He's got $20,000 into it. Yeah. Hubbard adds $1,200. sarah has got nothing. Ron and Sarah take off for Florida towards the end of April, taking $10,000 drawn from their account to purchase the first yacht. (laughs) Ghosted. Yeah. Weeks pass without a word. Yep. From Seaman Ron or Sarah swindled. Swindled. Yep. In July, Jack Parsons takes him to court. He... They settle out of court. He gets back a little money. Ron and Sarah keep the boat called the Harpoon. They sell later to get some cash. Old Ron, swindler, lying liar that he is, tries to get the Veterans Administration to increase his pension. Sarah writes lying, lying, lying letters for him. He takes testosterone and he has a sexy girl and he can't get it up and all of these are noted within the VA for him trying to lament his poor life with it. It's all trash. They're carrying on their affair. Sure. And then like all the trashy boys that have ever come before him and will come after him. is He's not divorced yet from no. No, this Polly. Still, okay. This is 1946. Still, he's sailing around the world with, on with the harpoon Sarah. with Sarah. Well, still married to... He's, Polly's living with his mom and dad. Your favorite word, absconded. He's absconded. He's absconded. From Polly. Hanging out with a bunch of... Sailing around the world. Ordo Templi Orientis dudes who founded branches of science yep. and stealing boats. Yeah. From them. You're right there. <laughs> so, like... It's, it's, the, it's the dream. Like trash men. Oh, this makes me so mad. He <sighs> proposes marriage to Sarah, which she's like, nobody. No, thanks. I'm good. Like, we're fine. We're on a boat. We're on a motherfucking boat. I'm on Think- a boat. I'm on a boat. Things yeah. are fine. And this is the trash bag move of it. He threatens to kill himself, which is such a plea of death. Like, it is such a, it makes me angry. And Sarah's like, oh, Okay. I guess if you're going to kill yourself and I can be yourself. Like, if this is your relationship, it is not a healthy relationship and you need to GTFO right now. Get help. Find a resource. Like, this is the part that gets my, he's a lying liar. Dander up. So they wake up a minister in the middle of the night in August of 1946. Just like Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Get the minister's wife and housekeeper to be witnesses. And I said August 1946, so you have already recalled the problem. And Polly. And Polly. It was not until much later. I guess this technically is Polly, though. In an amorous (laughs) sense. Yeah, okay, he's a bigamist, sorry. So it was not until much later that Sarah discovers that Seaman Ron has never been divorced from Polly. Now she's married to a bigamist. Sarah and Ron move repeatedly over the following year and really have no place to land because, right, they've been kicked out of the OTO. They got to do their sex magic on their own. And where does <laughs> Seaman Ronnie think to go? Polly's house. Oh, Polly's house. Now, remember, Polly had filed for divorce. Right, on right. Of desertion, non-support. Wasn't she living with his parents? 
uh, I guess she had a, a home okay. back in South Colby, right. Washington. They still had a house. Okay. She was not aware about Sarah, that he had married her. So here come Sarah and Seaman Ronnie, three weeks after the divorce was filed. His family is like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, they're pissed. Like, they, Polly's, like, what do you, what is wrong? Sarah is like, why is everybody acting so weird? What up, everyone? Exactly. She doesn't know why people are treating her so strangely until the son, who, DeWolf, like Ron DeWolf renames himself later, told her, like, hey, my mom and dad are still married and they're in divorce proceedings. Sarah tries to get out. She tries to flee on a ferry. And he, of course... Oh, stay! I'll kill myself. We're we're getting a divorce, and everything's fine. And she ends up staying. And he writes more stories for pulp magazines, and it's just bad. Their marriage is troubled. He pretty much assaults a prolonged campaign of domestic violence against her. The relationship is not easy. He begins beating her. In the summer of 1946, her dad had just died. Like, it's all, it's all bad. But he's struggling with constant writer's block and leaned on her to provide plot ideas. So he's writing, and she believes, like, he must be suffering or he wouldn't act that way. So, Seaman Ronnie gets convicted of petty theft in San Luis Obispo in August of 48. Couple moves to Savannah. Again, she's doing all of his work. She ends up transcribing a book, which becomes Dianetics, The Modern Science of Mental Health, which becomes the basis for Dianetics and in turn Cytonics. This is like the guy you want to talk to about mental health. Sex magic, man! (laughs) Anyway, it turns into Scientology, and he's a hustler. Sarah gives birth to one child. She's made a director of the Dianetics Foundation because now they have money and she becomes a counselor, but they're going broke. Like money's going out as fast as it's coming in. And in the course of this financial stress and being a lying liar, Ronnie starts an affair with his 22-year-old PR assistant. Unexpected. Sarah finds out. And is is like, oh, that's cool. She's no pissed. Okay. And Ron's like, hey, it's cool. Let's have a double date. Oh, my God. A double date. It, that is not how that works. A double date. And Sarah ends up beginning an affair with Miles Hollister, who the double date is with. Oh. Who is 22 and hot, like more her age. Okay, that is how a double College date works. College educated. Then. He's a sportsman. Like, Wait, are you telling me that L. Ron Hubbard set up his wife with a new boyfriend so that she and he could go on a double date with his girlfriend? Yes, I am. Definitely the person you want to talk to about mental health. So the marriage is definitely in the process of breaking down. I'm surprised to hear that. Sarah and Ron have frequent fights. He kicks her when she's pregnant. Like it, she recalled with or without an argument, there'd be an upsurge of violence. The veins in his forehead would engorge. He'd hit her out of the blue. He broke her eardrum in one attack. Oh, and this is the kicker. But despite this, she still, quote, felt so guilty about the fact that he was so psychologically damaged. 
I felt as though he had given so much to our country, and I couldn't even bring him peace of mind. It's just like the king of gaslighting. I believe thoroughly that he was a man of great honor and sacrificed his well-being to the country. It just never occurred to me he was a liar. <laughs> but that's what he is, a lying fucking liar. So he told Sarah he didn't want to be married, but he couldn't really divorce her because the stigma would hurt his reputation. Oh, my God. Instead, he says, Sarah, if you really loved me, you'd kill yourself, which she attempts to do in November Shit. 1950 by taking sleeping pills. Ron blames the PR assistant for this and says to forget it with her, but they resume the affair he tries to hip Ron tries to hypnotize Sarah into staying. Sarah goes to a psychiatrist to obtain advice, and the psychiatrist is like, "You in danger, girl." She gave Elrond an ultimatum, like, "You need to get treatment, or I'm going to leave with Alexis." Natch, right? Yeah, I mean, or whether or not you get treatment, he's furious and threatens to kill Alexis. Rather than let Sarah have her, and on February 24th, 1951, he kidnaps both of them. Fuck. He doesn't hold them together. He threatens if Sarah can get Alexis back if she signs divorce papers, saying everything's her fault. All of it's bad. But to make matters worse, old Seaman Ronnie decides to write to the FBI. And says that Sarah and Miles, Hollister, remember Double Date Man? Yeah, yeah. Are communists and drug addicts. We're in McCarthyism. Yeah, yeah, we are. That's good times. Sarah files a kidnapping complaint with the Los Angeles Police Department, but they blow it off as a domestic dispute. She later files a writ of habeas corpus, and now shit hits the papers in L.A. Cult founder accused of tot kidnap. Dianetic Hubbard accused of plot to kidnap wife. Hiding of baby charged to Dianetics author. Lying liar skips out of town over to Cuba to write some more lying lies to Sarah and about Sarah, and it's all bad. He then proposes to his PR assistant. Jesus Christ. Sarah files for divorce in April, charging Hubbard with extreme cruelty, great mental anguish, and physical suffering. More toxic headlines. <laughs> Uh, I mean, bigamy, kidnapping, systematic torture, sure, sure. loss of sleep, beating, strangulations, and scientific experiments, which I think translates to sex magic. Sounds like a great guy. Because of his crazy misconduct, she is in hourly fear of her life for herself and her daughter, who she hasn't seen in two months. Sure. She consults doctors who say, like, dude's nuts. Like, he's hopelessly insane or crazy. Maybe he's a paranoid schizophrenic. We don't know. The divorce writ prompted a huge deluge of bad publicity for Ron. And even, here's what's awesome, Polly, ghost letter writer, swapper girl, ends up writing to Sarah. (gasps) Saying, if I can help in any way I'd like to, you must get Alexis in your custody. Ron is not normal. (gasps) I had hoped you could straighten him out. Your charges sound fantastic to the average person, which I think is not good, but just unbelievable. Right, no, in exactly. That case. Yeah, what what you're saying here it just beggars belief, but I yeah. know it's true it's, because I, I was married to him. But I've been through it: the beatings, threats on my life, and all the statistics traits you charge. Twelve years of it. Please Oof. do believe I so want to help you to get Alexis. Jesus. So even Polly comes back in. 
In May of 1951, Sarah files a further complaint accusing him of fleeing to Cuba to avoid divorce papers. I mean, it's all just bad. He goes back to the FBI, blah, 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 blah. Fortunately for Sarah, the FBI ignores him like, hey, this dude's a fucking kook. In June of 1951, Sarah finally secures the return of Alexis, agreeing to cancel her receivership action and divorce suit in turn for a guaranteed divorce. Pretty much she is ready to say, whatever you want me to say, I retract the allegations, nothing happened, you're perfect, you're wonderful, give me my kid back and let me get the fuck out of here. Which happens. <sighs> she meets him in Wichita. He tells her she's in a state of complete madness. Oh my God. She plays along. She's like, you're right. The only way I... He's like, I'm a public figure and you're nobody. Uh, he's awarded divorce on her gross neglect of duty and extreme cruelty, which caused him a nervous breakdown, an impairment to health. It all turns around because she's like, she's like, whatever. Yeah. She did not give evidence. She was awarded custody of Alexis and $200 a month. She leaves Wichita as soon as the kid is handed back. She leaves the kid's clothes. She leaves her suitcase. Like there's a kid shoe laying on the tarmac. She gets on that plane as fast as she can. She's like, I ran across the airfield, across the runways to the airport and got on the plane. It was the 19th of June. It was the happiest day of my life. Wow. Ron persists uh, the rest of his life, never really claiming marriage to her. Just obliterates her. He's asked in later interviews, I never had a second wife. Alexis like reaches out to him when she's like 21. He says, I'm not your dad. You were fathered by Jack Parsons and you're not claimed to any of my inheritance. I mean, this it's a trash bag. Um, a little bit of a happy part of the story. Sarah does subsequently marry Miles Hollister, sex God boy. Uh, and they buy a house in Malibu. They eventually move to Hawaii and later Massachusetts. And she Dies in 1997 after a presumably long and happy life with her double date set up by her Ugh. crazy ex-husband. Yeah. Trash bag. Yeah. Seaman Ronnie does marry again to marry Sue Whip in 1952. So wife, long, wife 2A. Wife 3. Well, two, wife 3, wife 2A, yes. She's a co-ed at the University of Texas, Austin. She gets involved in Dianetics and... There's no second marriage anyway. Goodbye, PR assistant. So this marriage lasts until his death in 1986. Alleged Ron, death. I can't even. <laughs> this marriage lasts until his death in 1986. Ron and Mary Sue have four children. She helps coin the term Scientology. She's a huge influence in all of his New Jack fucking hustler plans that he comes up with. For the rest of his life, she ends up living with him on his rat-infested boat in the 60s and 70s and gets involved in the upper management of the church. So involved, in fact, she is indicted in the 80s on charges of conspiracy related to covert activities related to Scientology and Scientologists fucking with the feds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Which I do not recommend. That's been alleged. I do not recommend. <laughs> Uh, Mary Sue gets five years on the slammer and a $10,000 fine and all fucking Ron is worried. Like he's not prosecuted. Seven of his, seven of his 
they all take lock, yeah, they all take, take bullets for him, yeah. But all he's worried about is she's gonna rat him out. Right. He is a con artist and a huckster. And technically, Mary Sue and Ron are no divorce, so I can wrap this trashy trash story. And if I encourage you, ugh, I just hate it. If you want to learn more about the original gangster <laughs> con man, Elon Elron Hubbard is your guy. Uh, he dies in 1986 at his ranch. Perhaps. Mary Sue dies in 2002. Probably. I want to quit talking about him because I feel skeezy now. Now do Jack Parsons. Good. <laughs> Again, there is a really good interview on Indoctrination with Jamie DeWolf, the grandson. Elron is a con man. Maybe he's insane. He's more than clearly a narcissist and is a hustler enough to know how to fool people with the sex magic religion. Yeah, he's clearly which he's convinced people into thinking of Scientology. I mean, he's clearly got just overloaded amounts of charisma. Five trash bags. Done with this guy. Cool. Let's take a break. That's my story. Okay, I think I'm slightly calmed down, Stacey. Are you? My readers are off. Yeah. My story's put away. Yeah, you, pressure's off me. You you were a little amped. I you were a little. <sighs> we had to pause so you could go scream into a pillow for a while. Dude, he is a straight up no, hustler. That, that that is like an upsetting level of of like emotional and mental abuse. Not to mention physical. I mean, all the way around. It's all bad. Who do you have for us this week in our podcast of no tears? Okay, so no tears. I have. Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Oh, no tears, because uh, I don't want to run my mascara. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, yeah, they're oh, almost. I can't wait. They're almost like the the cartoon version of, of you. Like, you have a genuine sort of predatory. Actually, Jim Baker. Con man. Probably, I mean, is Jim Baker a con man? Oh. oh. <laughs> Let's do a, this. And also a predator. Ooh. While we're on the ooh, subject. Ooh. Uh, alleged. Do tell. What you got, Stacy? Jim and Tammy Faye Lavallee met as Ooh. students at North Central University in Minneapolis, a Bible college affiliated with the Assemblies of God, which is part of the Pentecostal movement. Okay, uh, wait. Bible college in a super cold state is already a hot house of trouble, and ha, I can ha, see where ha, this story's going to go wrong. Also, uh, and unrelated to the story, but I swear to God, like my entire life, I guess since I since. I was young and learned that the word for rib, like the scientific word for rib is, is a costa, costa. Sure. Coste. Like the cartilage around the ribs is the costal cartilage. Anyway, I you had always. so cute and weird now. I, I had you. always thought that Pentecostal was somehow about like five ribs. I thought it related to the. Really? Yeah, it's not. It doesn't. <laughs> it's not it at all. I never thought that, but. What does it relate to? Is this it's a, a, of the Pentecost? And uh, the Pentecost is not about five ribs either. You know what? I am not a religious person, so I don't this even. This is know. on our fashionable tinfoil hat conspiracy time podcast. On our other podcast, <laughs> stuff Stacy doesn't know. Conspiracy time, but has really overthought somehow. <laughs> the year was nineteen sixty. And the pair had come from seriously restrictive conservative Christian backgrounds. Joy was heavily regulated in their households. So Bible kids going to Bible college in a cold state hot house. Ooh, it's going to go bad. Yeah. So they marry in April of 1961, and they did not stick around in the mini apple. 
Mm. Where did they go? They booked it for Virginia, reversing the trek that so many enslaved people of color had made on the Underground Railroad seeking freedom in the North. Because if you're white, Christian preachers, and more than a little kooky and shameless, what better place for you than the South? (laughs) We don't hide our crazy people in the South. We put them on the front porch. (laughs) Give them some sweet tea. (laughs) Tell them to stay a while. Were they... Were they preaching on the front porch yeah, they, at this point? Yeah, okay. they left college to uh, to to preach the Further gospel. Their career. To, okay. to go be the evangelicals of the... Well, they didn't have those accents because... So do you have a rating on the sex magic involved in this couple? Or did my story win with sex magic? Well... Oh, no. Oh, no. See, it's going to get complicated. Okay, go, 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 okay. go. go, go, go. In 1966, they fell in with Pat Robertson and his uh, Christian Broadcasting Network. Robertson, yeah, Robertson was the son of a U.S. senator who had attended Yale Law School, but he failed the New York bar. So rather than take it again or whatever, he moves to Virginia Beach. Because it's not uncommon to take the bar again. Like there are a number of lawyers who take the bar super a number common. of times. Yeah, it's yeah. a very difficult test to but pass. But he just gives up. Gives up. Gives up. Moves to Virginia Beach, Virginia, uh-uh. presumably gets a bunch of daddy's money and buys his own UHF TV station so that he can begin broadcasting <laughs> Christian programming. Now, do we know what qualifies him as a failed lawyer to be a messenger oh, of God? Uh, yes, he did. He he went to seminary after. Oh, okay, great. So, great, like great, in great. 1959, he was credentialed as a as a preacher of some something or another. Sure. Okay. So. what what you got what you got so preacher robinson sitting on his front porch and here come virginia beach virginia here come yep 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 okay so here's the fun part though jim jim baker loved theater in high school it's the only thing he loved it was the only place because again he grew up in this really restrictive household he's a drama club kid he's a drama club kid and so theater is the only place he felt free like he loved theater so, and Tammy Faye, like, has this great singing voice. Like, so while they're doing their little itinerant preacher show, Jim preaches, and Tammy sings, and she plays the accordion, and, and it's a it's a thing. It's a happening that they do. Oh, this is going to go so bad. Oh, you're going to... Okay, the 700 Club, you've perhaps heard of it? Yeah. They found it. They're the founding... They're some of the founding members of the 700 Club on, on CBN, on Christian Broadcasting Network. Right. Uh, they host a children's show called Jim and Tammy. And then I put this in bold because I love the phrasing here. They created a puppet ministry for kids on CBN. <laughs> so no. basically, Robertson was trying to grow CBN and the 700 Club. In, like That was the flagship show. So he's trying to grow that. So, And it's before cable. It's before like. But he's a UHF channel and he's, he needs programming. Well, I want to be on the air X amount of hours. But he wants more. He wants more audience. So he's, anyway, in Charlotte, the network picked up the 700 Club for a while and then canceled it. <sighs> the owner of the station in Charlotte, a gentleman named Ted Turner, really liked what Jim and Tammy were doing, though. And so he calls him up and he's like, hey, now I've got a two hour slot open. Why don't you guys come to Charlotte? And you are kidding. We have yeah. Ted Turner to fucking blame for this shit. We have Ted Turner to thank 
No, who like Ted Turner and or Jane Fonda like is totally an episode future coming oh, up. Oh, for but sure. I think this was before Jane was. It, this was before CNN. He's reaching out, finding some controversial programming before CNN got. Yeah, because I guess the, it was TBS that he it first was TBS. test. Anyway, whatever. No, I'm a kid who grew up in Atlanta. Like, TBS was my jam. I came home from school because the thing about TBS, they broadcast everything on the 05. So you could actually check out what was happening at three o'clock on a station. And if you didn't like it, you could go to TBS at 305 and hook up with the Brady Bunch. Like all of his programmings were on the 05 mark. It was a it was a weird thing growing up as a kid in Atlanta. All right. And how I know every Brady Bunch episode ever recorded. TBS. Okay. Please continue. Okay, so Ted Turner offers them two hours of airtime every day. Off they go to Charlotte. Sure. Uh, and that is where, in an empty furniture store, they launch the PTL Club. Praise the Lord. Later known as Pass the Loot. Because these oh. people... H-U-S-T-L-A-R hustlers. Yeah, not long after this, they invested in a large satellite dish to broadcast their signal. That they put on top of the furniture store? Far and wide. Jesus I think they'd started building oh, sure. structures to house their ambitions. <laughs> their two-hour daily show was set up like a late-night talk show. As I look around our 1,300-square-foot house, I think about how large our ambitions are. <laughs> uh, okay, so this two-hour daily show was set up like a late-night talk show with Jim as the host and Tammy as his plucky, emotive sidekick, who would also like burst into singing and whatever. They interviewed religious leaders, actors, had musical segments, politicians, and in lieu of advertising... They put a phone bank beside the stage where everyone could see it. The cameras could see it. The audience. It was in front of a big audience. The audience could see it. And they just asked people to call into the phone bank to donate money. Well, sure. I assume, I mean, this was the 70s. I assume you could give them a credit card number, but may, it, it may all have been pledges where they would then send you like a... Their little handwritten check an, for $4. Well, well yeah. yeah, or they send you an envelope that's... Anyway, very primitive, but... What year is this? This thing starts in 74. Jeez. Okay. Primitive, but... Effective. Oh, my God. By the late 70s, PTL was pulling in $120 million annually. What? In 1970s money? In 1970s money, estimates... Holy crap! Yeah, estimates were that viewer contributions exceeded a million dollars a week. Holy smokes. Probably many times that. In 1978, PTL spent... Two God is not pleased. But, listen, they put in a water park. In 1978, they spent $200 million to build a theme park and a, with a water park called Heritage USA that became the third most successful theme park in America behind Disneyland and Disney World. You are joking! I'm not. They were prosperity gospel people. Before prosperity gospel I mean, was cool. Yeah. They, I mean, they kind of pioneered it, I think. Yeah. They expressly told their viewers that Jesus wanted the viewers to be rich. Jim and Tammy were certainly rich, thanks to those same viewers. They were absolutely shameless in displaying their wealth. 
they had an air-conditioned doghouse oh. on their oceanfront compound. Well, sure. Ruby Tallulah may get out on the beach if she had an air-conditioned doghouse. Maybe. Um, as, as far as the viewers were concerned, Jim and Tammy's attitude was, what better way to show your devotion to Jesus than to send money to God via PTL? So they convinced them that when they gave to PTL, God would reward them. And that the more they gave, the bigger God's reward would be. No. No. These are not good people. No. Meanwhile, I mean, they are famously having shopping sprees. They're purchasing homes in Mm -mm. the desert and homes in California. Like, as the con got bigger, regulators began to pay more attention to them. In 1979, the FCC opened an investigation into whether PTL had misused funds. It had. (laughs) And whether Jim and Tammy Faye were using PTL money for personal expenses. They were. They were. were. (laughs) However, like by the time the investigation wrapped up. Oh. Ronald Reagan was president. I was about to say, like, I had a flash of a, uh, not, well, he could be Seaman Ronnie, too. I don't know. But I mean, yeah, like, who had put Reagan in the White House? Evangelicals. Oh. So there's, there, there's always been a lot of speculation that, because there were, there were a lot of investigations in the late 70s, early 80s about this group that always found wrongdoing and no charges were ever brought until... Okay, so I'm actually tipsy enough that I think fashionable tinfoil hat conspiracy time podcast needs to be a thing on Patreon where we talk about this shit. Because I believe that. Like evangelicals made their ascension during that time, mostly led by Jim and Tammy Faye, which is why when whatever you're going to tell me, you're going to tell me happens later, it was such a (gasps) scam. Yeah, no, the tele. I mean, you've yeah, you've got Pat Robertson, Jimmy. I mean, Swagger. they were the OG televangelists, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess Robertson was the first, but but he didn't have pretty plucky Tammy. No, he Faye did not. singing with a pretty voice and crying with drama club kid time. by his side. Right. Good lord. All right. So all of these all these investigations consistently show that yeah, there's stuff going wrong there, but no one does anything. Until 1987. Because Reagan comes, has Alzheimer's and somebody's no, no. caught up with him? No. It comes out, I think maybe through the Charlotte Observer, Ooh. that Jim Baker had directed the payment of $279,000 to a former PTL secretary what? named Jessica Hahn. Oh, I know her uh-huh, I know. Everyone who was alive then knows that name. So Jessica Hahn uh, had been a secretary with the PTL. Mm, 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 and in 1980 when she was 21 was when she was the secretary Jim Baker drugged and raped her <gasps> along with another PTL show co-host at the same time. I think what? consecutively oh. um she did not refer to it as rape at the time but no doubt we would do so today like what mm. what she says happened bad bad Bad, bad. Um, so Han ended up all over television news and chat shows. Jim and Tammy Faye had been famous in a mainstream way. Like I remember as a kid, I mean, you just when you're flipping channels, they were around. Yeah, yeah, you would inevitably come across them. My parents hated them, just thought they were con artists, which it turns out they were. I, 
Um, S-T-L-E-R hustlers. Yeah. So, like, Han ends up famous, right? Like, she poses for Playboy. Uh She's in a music video. She dated Sam Kennison for a while. Like, she ended up genuinely famous. I don't know what that says about any of the scandal or anything. She definitely ducked out of public life at some point and returned to a relatively normal private life. I think she's married now and stable and return to reality. Yeah. Not interested in, in all that, but you know, she was raised a Christian and she was super excited when she was invited to come and work at PTL. Cause here she thinks she's meeting a man of God. The, yeah. And these were yeah. people she idolized and uh, this motherfucker like mm. drugged her and raped her and oh. uh, always insisted it was consensual. Of course. So this scandal hits. Gaslight. Yeah. So Jim uh, Jim tries to tough it out for a while, figuring, like, you know, the scandal will blow over. Like, his followers want to bend him or whatever. I did not have sexual relations with but, that. Well, no, he's... Because he, it was about he the said time he, of... He said he had. Oh. He just... It definitely was consensual. Oh. So he's finally forced to resign from the PTL in March of 87. Mm. Is that for the year we're at? Um, they recruit... Jim and Tammy recruit Jerry Falwell. <laughs> and it just gets better. Oh, it gets so much worse. Um, I know. Like, if the, if there... Can we play the Darth Vader march? Is that copyrighted? Like, yeah. Okay, so Jerry Falwell steps in to lead PTL oh, no. after Baker leaves. But both Jim and Tammy believe this will be a temporary thing until the scandal, you know, blows over. Sure. Then... Several men from within PTL come forward to acknowledge sexual relationships with Jim Baker. What? (laughs) Seriously? And I mean, honestly, if you watch him on television, you're like, yeah, I can see that. Totally. He's a theater kid. Jerry Falwell was a lot of things. Very few of them good. But what he was not was a friend to the gays. Like, once the, like, I don't know, obviously he's in charge of PTL now. He can see all of the books. He can, he can see this massive financial fraud that has been ongoing for years. And I doubt that in his mind, even before he found the fraud, I doubt he was ever going to let that go. He was ever going to give it back to the bakers. But once somebody said, oh no, he's a homosexual. I know because I'm a homosexual too. At least two. Oh my God. And really, there were, I, I found an article from the time, the grand jury questioned a number of men in the organization about what? whether they'd had, because some of them were paid crazy amounts of money in tiny, tiny periods of time. So I think there was a lot of speculation that Baker was having sex with men and paying them off. Well, look how far you've come. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. Once the gay rumors hit. Wow. Falwell was finished with them he called jim the greatest scab and cancer on the face of christianity in Mm. two thousand years of church history which he could really only get away with saying because the catholic church child sex abuse scandal didn't break for a few more years um but yes the first scab two thousand years ago jesus like that doesn't make a lot of sense well no he's just he's just saying this is the the oh the the greatest scab since the beginning of jesus since yeah since scabs (laughs) <laughs> Go ahead. Since scabs. 
Okay, so now that the accounting was out of Jim's hands, the scale of the financial crimes started to be realized. Oh, no. One of the big scams that they did kind of late in the game was uh, that PTL peddled these, like, like give us a gift of $1,000, and you'll get a lifetime membership or, like, an exclusive partnership or whatever, some, some specific thing that entitled that member to a four-night stay at the Heritage USA Hotel oh, no. every year for the rest of their life, once a year. Oh, God. They sold something like 70,000 of these. Jesus Christ. How many rooms do you think that hotel had? <laughs> Not 70,000. Not 70,000. Had 500 rooms. Jim pocketed $3.4 million out of this. The totality of the fraud that the PTL perpetrated on its loyal followers even whistle. funders God. was $158 million. Jim Baker, Tammy was never indicted. Jim Baker swindled $158 million out of America's Christians. No tears. And they continued to love that motherfucker all through his trial. All, like What is with the brainwashing? It's brainwashing. It is. In 1988, he was indicted. If you can't tell there's a con going on, you are the fucking mark. It's the truth. Hello, America 2019. It's the truth. Go ahead. Um, Also, during some of these investigations that went nowhere, uh, Jim fundraised off of them, calling them witch hunts. (laughs) Yeah, just, it all ties together. Send me money. The deep state is trying to steal my TV show. Send me money. <laughs> uh, that's not how he talks, but whatever. Witch hunt. Okay, so 88. He is indicted on eight counts of mail fraud, 15 counts of wire fraud, and one count of conspiracy. Mm-mm. A jury finds him guilty on all 24 counts. The judge is pissed. You think? <laughs> and in his, in his sentencing memo, he writes something like, those of us who actually have faith... You know, like, some really pointed language sentences him to 45 years in prison. What? Yeah. Really? Really. One point of irony. As all the financial shenanigans came to light, it turns out that the the water park, the theme park, Heritage USA, was $72 million in debt, even though it was pulling in $126 million a year at one point. How? This is not the this debt. This is not what led to it closing. In September of 1989, Hurricane Hugo made landfall not far away and chewed its way over the park, causing significant damage. It never reopened. Interestingly, Tammy Faye Baker was you never. Know the universe works in some fucked up, mysterious ways. I mean, put a pin in that; it comes back around. Okay, so Tammy Faye was not indicted in any of this. Like, it's weird everybody was like but she was spending all of this money like she had to know right but i don't know maybe she genuinely like wasn't signing any doc like i don't know but she was never indicted she stood by her man through the han scandal and then but he's in jail for 45 years massive fraud trial three years into his prison sentence she files for divorce oh. and apparently this is not a trashy thing at all like they just divorce Tammy had always been his relentlessly upbeat sidekick. I can sing. And her husband had apparently been having affairs with both men and women, not to mention sexually assaulting at least one woman. No, 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 no. 
and robbing their business and their loyal followers blind for years. So three years later, Tammy Faye wises up. Yeah, I think, yeah, she was lonely and sad and, yeah, she filed for divorce. for the least trashy divorce. Yeah, there was, like, this obvious buffoonery because she had these, she would just, like, break down in tears all the time on TV. Like, this, that was the big joke. There were a lot of, like, the mascara and the tears. It was a thing. But she also had what seems to have been a a completely genuine empathy in the mid-80s when they were on the top of the world. She interviewed a gay minister who had AIDS and talked frankly about topics like his coming out and the death of his partner. And she urged Christians to be compassionate to people with the disease and to their gay brethren. She was also an advocate for people with substance abuse problems, an issue that she herself dealt with. Prescription drugs. Well, you'd probably do prescription drugs if your husband was pulling that kind of con over your fucking face. You're not kidding. Yeah. Okay. So after the PTL collapsed and she divorced Jim... She turned into something of a gay icon and appeared at gay pride events and just was... Oh, look at her and her little revolution! Which is totally crazy because she came from this, like, fundamentalist background. Way to go, Tammy Faye! Yeah. Yeah! Uh, In 1993, she married an old PTL hand named Roe Messner, who was a wealthy property developer. Sure. Uh, He was, sorry, he was described in PTL literature as a church builder. Unfortunately, because everything associated with PTL turned to shit, Roe himself ended up convicted of bankruptcy fraud in 1996 and served 27 months. This did not, they stayed married. Okay. Um, Tammy Faye died of cancer in 2007, having largely won the public's admiration for persevering through her struggles. Hey man, if you win the gays. Yeah, right. You're, 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 it's like you love dogs and cats and gays. Yeah. Like if you can win the gays. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, share. in 1999, there was a documentary called The Eyes of Tammy Faye that was narrated by RuPaul, oh. which I keep meaning to watch, but have not. Talk um, about winning the gays. She, and I think I remember this, too. She appeared on the Drew Carey show a couple of times as the mother of... Do you remember... Did you ever watch the show? A little bit, yeah. There's a character named Mimi who... who yeah, was, yeah, 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 Well, Tammy Faye came on and played her mom, so they both had this, like, yeah. makeup... Yeah, they were, like, makeup addicts. In real life or whatever. It, anyway, it, it it's funny because it's funny, but if you weren't there, you probably missed it. Uh, she wrote some autobiographies. She appeared on a season of VH1's The Surreal Life oh. alongside, here's our buddy porn star, Ron Jeremy again, the hedgehog. I am still like, <laughs> you're never going to New York you're on your so, own unattended. You're so impressed that I know his nickname is the hedgehog. I um, had, Okay. When it comes to who is the purveyor of weird, salacious, fucked up, gossipy details between you and I, 99 times out of 100, it's going to be me. Oh, well, that building was originally owned by this. It's never you. The hedgehog listener stunned me. Hedgehog. Anyway, Vanilla Ice was on it, too. And I think what happened is that Again, I think she was invited on because of her buffoonery, but it's like she's everybody's house mom. Yeah. And I don't know, like she just warmed hearts. Uh, Do you think she's Kitty Foreman to like 25 years later? That's interesting. That's kind of the picture I get. Oh, I'm drinking my cocktail, but I have a big hair. Yeah, and a, a little lot bit. A of- little bit, yeah. Yeah. Aww. 
Uh, her dumbass ex-husband, on the other hand, I was about to say what happened. To, what happened to Jimmy Boy? Continues to pollute America and uh. our airwaves. Uh, he appealed his 45-year sentence, and it was ultimately reduced to eight. He was paroled in 1994 after serving about five. What? I say that's kind of fair because what, male privilege. No, but I mean, comparative to other white male privilege sentences, compared to a lot of violent crimes, forty-five years is way more than. I mean, I get one hundred and fifty-eight million dollars is a huge fraud. Anyway, in two thousand and three, uh, he remarried wife number two, oh. Lori, or he married wife number okay. two, Lori. He launched a daily broadcast called The Jim Baker Show. Sure he does. Out of Branson, Missouri. 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 He's given up on his prosperity gospel. <laughs> yeah, you think. <laughs> and now he is all apocalyptic visions. <gasps> no. Which allows him to hawk buckets of freeze-dried food and other survivalist bullshit every day on his show out of Branson, Missouri. Does he know about Johnny Wayne, who's hunting for gold in them there hills? They should go hunt together. Uh, He believes the end times are upon us and that we should arm up and buy his 20-year shelf life food products. I genuinely... Is he on TV anymore? Yeah. Is he really? Yeah. I think five days a week, yeah. Oh, my God. He's carried by a bunch of, like, religious programming network. This guy should not be allowed to hawk product or whatever, like... (gasps) People who run networks should not let people like this on their networks. You own the platform. He is a con man. Perhaps because of Hurricane Hugo's impact on his water park. His water park. Jim Baker continues to believe that hurricanes are a signal of God's wrath and said that Hurricane Harvey was a symbol of something and blamed Barack Obama for Hurricane Matthew. I think Matthew. I know. I don't know what Obama was supposed to have done, but in any case. Weirdly, uh, the divorce in this story is the least trashy part. So that it's like one trash can. So they divorced amicably and carried on their own separate. I don't know that they ever spoke again. Oh, okay. Yeah. There was an interview with him after he got out of prison and he said that he was still in love with Tammy and, well, like, someone, for Tammy's faith furtherance of her... Well, but someone asked, like, when she was interviewed, someone asked her about that. And she was like, well, I guess it means I did something right in the marriage. Thanks, Jim. Wow. I mean, it was really... I continue to grow and evolve on a very human path, and mm-hmm. fuck you, motherfucker. Um, so, yeah, while, uh, while it was not a particularly trashy divorce, I think we can all keep mightily hoping that if there is a God, it punishes Jim Baker... Pretty mercilessly for a really long time. H U S T L E R Hustler. Scumbag. And that's the Bakers. Okay, so here's the thing <laughs> the whiskey's kicked in, and I'm going to tell you if you are a messenger of Jesus and you have a private plane and a bank account that ends in an S millions oh okay i was like i don't know what that means okay yeah no like and a, like in a, you're, an you're account balance with right. 10 or 12 zeros like i really do have some we have some friends who are 
religiously attached in different parishes. And none of those people are floating in a lot of dough. I think there's a, there's just so much conspiracy for God, man. And it's wrong. Ire, no tears, podcast, no tears. Yeah, I, honestly, I was wondering if I would get a little teary about the the later life of Tammy Faye. There was she a, sounds like a fucking gem. There, I think there was a. It's I think it was twenty twenty. Did a piece on them in January, which I only found out. Like, everyone is scooping me. No, um, thanks, New York Times. But but yeah, right. <laughs> but I watched it the other night, and when it started, I was just. I mean, I just wanted to strangle both of them because I knew what was coming. And I like, yeah. again, I remember this from when I was a kid. But as the story progresses, like it really does become difficult not to feel like Tammy should have known better earlier. Like, I'm still a little surprised she wasn't indicted, but she was not indicted. She was not found guilty of this fraud. And the rest of her life, she lived in a different way yeah. than... Well, no, that's the thing. When you know better, you do better. And you have to sometimes go through that, like, dating the guy who threatens suicide unless you... Like, when you know better, you do better. And then you don't do that shit anymore because you're like, nope, I'm pretty cool. Yeah. I... Ah. Uh. Okay, podcast no tears. Yeah. But lots of lamentation and scuzzy behavior. Yeah, I mean, I just, again, I am not a religious person. And the more the more we do this podcast, the more I'm like, I don't know if anyone should be. Like, it seems like religion gets wrapped up in a lot of these in a very negative way. It's weird, right? Just wait till we do Bill O'Reilly. Oh, oh my Lord. God. Ugh. Like, I'm like, whoever, whatever makes you not like not act like an asshole is who I am all for. Sure. If it is God or Buddha or Muhammad or your pot dealer, I don't give a shit. Don't be a dick. Right. That's rule number one. And let's say that maybe both of our guys this week had some of their be a dick behavior on full display and let's be done with those trashy divorces. No tears. I need another drink. Out. See you next week. Stay single. Don't marry a religious cult leader. Yeah, there you go. No matter how cool he is in the drama club or befriending an Indian fucking chief and making up lies about himself. God. Good lessons. Good lessons. Hey, we'll be back with an empathy podcast next week, but we just need Maybe. to get angry. Maybe. <laughs> Cheers, y'all. Cheers. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. 
If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Interested in some trashy divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.